0: covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. We do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in once again this week. Have a lot going on as we are into the final week of August. Before we know it, it's going to be September and it's the final month of the baseball regular season the questions around the brewers remaining can they get into the postseason can they get into the postseason as a division winner they got a lot of things that they got to do over the next four and a half five weeks to be able to make that happen but based off the schedule and based off the teams that they're going to be playing it's still on the table but for the most part they've got to play better baseball than they have now they're just coming off a series where they did take two of three against the diamondbacks we're recording this on sunday night after the day of the 5-2 loss to the diamondbacks kind of left a bad taste in the mouth that was one another one of those games and it, it's frustrating for brewers fans to see the team continually have a hard time hitting with runners and scoring position they went one for nine leaving 10 runners on base and they were really multiple times it felt like they were just one hit away from maybe tying that game up and they were unable to do so and they end up losing and instead of coming up with a series sweep they win two of three not trying to make light of winning two of three obviously anytime you win a series that's a good thing but right now with just over 30 games remaining every single win that is a possibility every win that's on the table you got to find a way to get it and uh, they did not get that one on Sunday. They've got a big week coming up. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. As always, let's get our uh, housekeeping items out of the way here at the top of the podcast. If you do uh, listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to subscribe and leave a ranking and review and all that, that'd be great. Uh, You can also uh, always find me on Twitter. At Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And for those of you who are listening, who are out of the area, just a reminder, especially as uh, these games that the Brewers are playing, the significance of the games seem to uh, grow every single time. You can uh, listen to my post-game show on WTMJ Radio. And I know most people listening to this podcast are probably aware of that, especially if you're in the area. Uh, Something that I get asked about sometimes, and I just like reminding folks because I enjoy people listening to my show, uh, if you want to listen online, you could do so at WTMJ.com. You can do so on the WTMJ mobile app. Now, I hear from people all the time that they tune in and they're hearing other programming. The way it works is Major League Baseball, they own the digital rights for the actual play-by-play broadcast of every Major League Baseball game, so the actual Network radio broadcast, the one featuring Bob Eucher and Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle. Uh, th- that cannot be streamed at WTMJ.com. You've got to have the uh, the subscription through Major League Baseball, the, the Game Day Audio, or the MLB MLB.TV. Uh, so once the network broadcast ends and the post game show, my local post game show on WTMJ begins, that's when the stream switches over from replays and podcasts and things like that back into the live programming. So if you are looking for the post-game show where you can call in and you can hear reaction and everything, you just got to wait a little bit on the stream for the network broadcast to wrap up. And then after that, you are able to hear uh, my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings. So just want to throw that at you. Sometimes I mention that at the end of the podcast, but I'm sure some people hear the couple interviews or whatever and, and call it a day on the podcast. What a hit on, really, this was a weird week. It was a weird week in the sense that some things happened – that surprised me. Namely, one thing happened that surprised me, and that was designating Yolis Shasin for assignment. I really didn't see that coming. And it wasn't that I didn't see that coming because I thought Shasin was going to uh, have a big role for the Brewers after he returned. I was, I was kind of curious what that was going to look like. I thought internally, I thought to myself, with the fact that rosters are going to be expanded, with the thought that probably Brandon Woodruff would be returning around the same time as Yuli Shasin, I thought they would pick and choose their spots with Shasin inside of September with the expanded roster, but the fact that uh, there were very few off days in September, that they would probably find a start firm here, a start for him there. That wasn't going to happen. That just wasn't going to happen. They did not have big plans for Shasin after he was going to return. And there's a few things going on here that I think are notable. Uh, First off, it shows a lot of respect for Yoli Shasin that they actually let him go. Because he's going to be, he wants an opportunity to finish the season strong. Even if it's just the final two weeks of the season. Maybe even playing for a team that's not a contender. A team that's looking to add a starter. He wants the opportunity to finish strong. Whether he finishes strong or not, we'll just have to wait and see. But he wants that opportunity, and that opportunity probably wasn't going to be there with the Brewers. Here's the second thing. Right now, the Brewers are at a point where they can't gamble. They can't put guys out onto the field, and especially from a pitching standpoint. They can't put guys out on the field with the just being hopeful that it's going to go well. And that's what it would be with Shasin at this point. Is it possible that Shasin finds who he was last season and he's really good down the stretch of the year? Yeah, it's possible. Is it probable? Eh, probably not. I mean, at this point of the year, you kind of are who you are. That's the season that you're having. But is it possible that that he could find himself? Sure. But is, is it worth the gamble for the Brewers? That's I think that's where they've made the decision that it's not. That when you really don't know who he's going to be when he starts any given game, it's not really worth the gamble at that point. If we're, ta- if we're having this conversation in June, if we're having this conversation in July, it's probably different. It's probably more of a situation where you can give him a few more starts coming off an injury and see if he locks back in. But we all know how important every game is. We remember game 163 last year. And I know it's really easy to make the argument that, well, the game in April and the game in May counts the same for the game in August and the game in September. That is, that's very true. It's, they're all one of 162. But where that's not as true is you don't know in April and May what your circumstances are going to be in August and September. So when you're making decisions in April and May, there's no way to know that in September you might be trying to climb a ladder. You know that at this point in the year. The standings are what the standings are. And the Brewers have work to do. So they can't go gamble by going and throwing Yoli Chassin out there, especially when they're getting, for the most part, for the most part, pretty good starting pitching. Uh, Zach Davies wasn't great on Sunday. It seems like of everybody right now, Davies is a little bit hit or miss. You know what you're getting with Chase Anderson. He had the one bad start two starts ago, but he's he's had quite the run of just being consistent, going out there, giving you five or so innings. Sometimes they're shutout innings, one, two runs, keeping the team in the game. Again, Brandon Woodruff. the The good news there was good news this past week on Brandon Woodruff that he is going to be able to throw off a mound soon. So that kind of – once he throws off the mound for the first time and nothing catches on him and and there's no setbacks, that's when the timeline kind of starts. I I get asked all the time, when's Woodruff going to be back? When's Woodruff going to be back? And I I never have an answer because – The clock doesn't really start ticking until he throws off the mound for the first time, and once he does that and you see how his body reacts, then you can put a timeline on it, and then you can say, okay, you'll probably see him back at this point in time. I still think there are X factors in Brent Suter and Jimmy Nelson. Both have been pitching really well at AAA, and just because you pitch well at AAA doesn't mean you for sure are going to to pitch well at the big leagues, but I think they're going to give both those guys an opportunity. When the rosters expand, they're going to have some interesting decisions to make because don't forget, both those pitchers, Suter and Nelson, they are on the 60-day injured list. So to activate them, they're going to have to clear two spots off the 40-man roster to be able to make them get them onto uh, the active roster. And how they're going to do that and everything, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't even know how to start speculating about that. But it's going to be there's going to be a lot of moving parts and i promise you this the brewers are going to have just about every pitcher that they have available to them on that roster in september not a lot of off days they want to they they don't want to do the shuttle anymore the triple a season's going to be over just a chance to bring as many guys up have a loaded bullpen and never have to worry about the usage Now, you do, I guess I say never worry about the usage. You do worry about the usage if you're playing a bunch of tight games in a row where your high leverage guys are being used over and over and over. But if there's an opportunity to give one of those guys a day off, and go with somebody else because you're either winning big or losing big, they're going to be able to do that more in September. And we saw last year the Brewers were incredibly, incredibly good at being able to uh, utilize an expanded roster in creative ways and to give themselves uh, an advantage based off the, the information that was out there. So it's it's interesting, right? I mean, this is... We don't know what's going to happen moving forward. And I'm talking to you on Sunday night, so depending on when you're listening to this, uh, this will pro- if you're not listening to it prior to uh, Monday night's game between the Brewers and the Cardinals, uh, this is probably going to change just because they are playing the Cardinals. But as, as I talk on Sunday night, St. Louis is the 1st place team in the division. The Cubs are two-and-a-half games back of St. Louis, and the Brewers are four-and-a-half back of St. Louis and two games back of second-place Chicago. That four-and-a-half number is notable because that's that's there's nothing impossible about making up four-and-a-half games in the final 30-plus games in the season, but it's also not easy. It's not impossible, but it's not easy, and they've got to win these head-to-head matchups against St. Louis. That's, that's going to be huge. In the wild card, the Brewers, the Cubs are holding on to that second wild card position. So the Brewers are two games out of a wild card spot. Philadelphia is right behind uh, Chicago. Chicago. A game and a half out of the uh, wild card position. Then you have the Brewers and also the Mets who are both two games back. And it's starting to feel like Washington is going to run away with one of these wild cards. Washington is four games clear of Chicago, the second wild card team. And they're now five and a half games clear of the first non playoff team right now in the National League. So that's where things sit on Sunday. And what that tells you is the Brewers have work to do. They can make the postseason, but they absolutely have work to do. Here's what's coming up on the podcast today. We have a featured interview with Kyle Lesneski with Brew Crew Ball, so let's go ahead and get right to that. After every Brewer's game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. We bring in the managing editor over at Brew Crew Ball. One of our favorite people to have on the podcast, he is uh, Kyle Lesneski. Kyle, always good to talk to you. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself?
0: I'm good. I want to start and talk about something that really isn't uh, team-related because Uh, The online communities of Brew Crew Ball and uh, Baseball Prospectus had a bit of a meetup, as I understand, this uh, past week at at Miller Park. How did that go, and and what's it like to be able to get uh, everybody who kind of communicates in an online uh, forum to really get together in real life?
1: Um, it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. Uh, things got off to a little bit later start than intended. The um, group of uh, baseball prospectus writers that were coming up from Chicago got a little uh, diverted due to the, to the uh, construction on the way up from ninety four. So they were uh, a little bit later than uh, initially anticipated, but um, ended up having a, a tailgate in the parking lot and. Um, Enjoyed a, enjoyed a few beverages and headed on inside and, and watched a, uh, a pretty good game. We got to see a, a pretty fine performance by Jordan Lyles and and the team in general as they went on for uh, for the victory in that one. So it was a it was a great event. Um, it's always nice to. Uh, to meet guys or to rub elbows with uh, with guys like Jonathan Judge and um, Harry Pavlidis, two of the uh, more important sabermetric baseball writers over the last uh, the last several years or so, so. Um you know, a lot of fun to, to get together and, and see all those people and and um, have a, a lot of intelligent people to uh, chat baseball with.
0: All right, let's get into uh, the team a little bit. And the big news of the past week was the desi- decision to uh, designate Yelise for sh- yeah, excuse me, seen for assignment. And I don't know about you, when I first saw the news, it surprised me. And, and you had actually kind of floated out that idea quite some time ago it to my first initial reaction was this is not like the brewers because the brewers generally don't just walk away from assets for nothing but then we kind of learned that they didn't have much of a plan for him after he was going to get healthy they were having conversations with him they kind of honored and respected his role on that team last year and wanted to give him the opportunity to go you know finish out his season strong somewhere else but what was your takeaway from that decision from the brewers
1: um, you know, I guess, like you said, it, it was a little bit of a shock at first, just because you know this was this guy was uh, the the big starter down the stretch for them last year. Got the the start in Game Seven of the NLCS was on the mound for for Game One Sixty Three in Chicago, um, and and really put together a pretty tremendous year last year for the team when they when they really needed some stability in the rotation. Um, but you know, it just you know not, never really kind of came together for him this year. Um, whether it was it was one thing or another he he had issues commanding the baseball specifically with his slider and um you know when when he is relying on that pitch more than 50 percent of the time and and he can't locate it for strikes like he wants to there's there's going to be a lot of issues that that come along with that so um had had performance issues obviously had a couple of different stints on the injured list and um you know the the brewers seem to have Found a, a pretty decent, I guess, grouping of starters for for the time being. That um, you know they'll they'll probably look to uh, rely on down the stretch here, and and as the rosters expand, they'll they'll get more arms behind them, and um, you know. Like like they alluded to, Chasine just wasn't going to be somebody who, who was going to play a, a significant role for them down the stretch. Just kind of based on on the performance he had given earlier in the season, and with him you know leaving and uh, his contract coming up at the end of the year, um, didn't really seem likely that he was going to get resigned or anything like that. Um, so rather than kind of just let him sit around and, and ride on the bench um, on the stretch, I guess uh, for for lack of a better words. Um, they just, they just got to move on with with somebody else down the stretch, and and can provide some innings, and and maybe build some positive momentum for himself looking into uh, looking into what what is certain to be an uncertain free agency for him uh, this time around. I certainly don't think he's at this point going to be looking at any sort of guaranteed MLB deals or anything like that. So uh, any little bit of chance that he might have to, to put himself in a better position for this winter and, and going forward, um, I think the Brewers uh, did him a solid by, by hopefully letting him try and find an opportunity like that.
0: What do you make of the of the jinx, the old opening day starter just not being very successful for the Brewers for so many years in a row now?
1: I mean, I guess you can't really look at it and be like, well, this is definitely a thing because how, how, how can that, you know, be a real thing? You know, there's, there's no such thing as a curse, but it, it is really quite confounding that, you know, for the last going on five years now, it seems like they just have had the worst, most rotten luck with their opening day starters as, as you could really imagine. So, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe next year they look to give a guy like Taylor Williams or some other last man in the bullpen type arm the the opening day start and and use him as sort of a sacrificial lamb. I don't know, but uh, it, it certainly is something that's that's been an odd and an odd sort of conundrum to to watch the team have to deal with over the last few years.
0: Okay, so I know I'm here to interview you and get your take on things. Can I share with you my maybe reason for, for this uh, sort of jinx for opening day starters and see what you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, go for
0: it. Okay, so the only thing I could come up with, and maybe this is true, maybe it isn't true, but I was spending some time thinking about it, and this is the only thing I could come up with. The Brewers are not going to go out – and sign these big-name, top-dollar pitchers. They're generally, more often than not, going to have lower-level pitchers. And a lot of times, the guy who is going to end up having the best season is somebody who's had a career year. And guys who have career years, more often than not, regress to the mean So I feel like maybe a big reason for why opening day starters so often take a step back with the Brewers is it's just a result of them not spending a ton of money, bringing in top-notch, top-level, you know, ace-level pitchers where you're dealing with a bunch of guys who are having these career years, and it's just almost inevitable that they are going to take some level of a step back the next year.
1: Um. You know, I, I guess that maybe there's some, some logic to that. Um, I guess when you look at it kind of started with Kyle Loesch, probably. So, I, I mean, at that time he had, he had been a, a pretty significantly good pitcher for several years before that and had just turned into pretty terrific seasons for the Brewers prior to that. So, um, that may be more of an, of an age related mm-hmm. thing, um, but, um, you know, I guess in, in the case of somebody like Willie Peralta or, um, junior year after that, or Chase Anderson or, Sh- or Shasin this year. Um, uh, but I, I guess even, even Shasin for as good as he was last year, he was pretty good in, in 2017 too. He had a, a sub four ERA and he's been a guy who's who's posted several other sub four ERA seasons. So, um, Yeah, I mean, maybe there's, maybe there's something to it with that, especially during that kind of 2016 through 2018 stretch where, you know, it was sort of the the quasi rebuild and, um, they were just kind of trotting some, some guys out there that they had in the organization. Um, but, you know, maybe this will be, maybe this will be the winter that they go out and they spend big money or make a big trade or somebody and, and get that, uh, you know so called ace pitcher in and and then they'll break the streak next year who knows
0: <laughs> Yeah and I think you the my uh, my thought process it does it does not apply to Kyle Loesch. I think that's one for sure that's a, a little bit different I, I don't know how true it is that's just one of the only things I can come up with other than it's just being right. a complete and total anomaly which it it probably is uh, What do you this team right now is I mean everybody's sitting here saying if they can turn it on if they can flip the proverbial switch, they can still be a playoff team. Maybe they can still even catch uh, the division leader, and they've got a huge series coming up against St. Louis, who has really extended out their lead now in the division But when we're talking on August 25th, which is the date right now, you kind of are who you are. So where do you sit right now on the idea that this team still has the ability to flip that proverbial switch and really have a strong final month of the season versus they've been kind of the same team all season long and there's no reason to believe that they are going to find that second gear?
1: Yeah, I guess if you um if you think back to last season, um it it, it doesn't seem like the Brewers really hit their stride last year until um until september rolled around and then they were able to kind of augment their roster with with all the call-ups that that they were able to bring up and and we obviously saw how craig council you know kind of deftly managed all those different players and and put guys in in the right spots to um you know help the team really catch fire down the stretch i mean they had to win their last um seven games in a row during the regular season to um to uh win the division and and you know secure themselves the top playoff spot so um i i think that the september 1st deadline or the september 1st date this year is going to be another significant one for the brewers i think that um bringing up you know the the host of guys that they figure to bring up from the minor leagues um should should be helpful for the team um you know it seems like they've got a lot of guys who um have shown glimpses of of having potential impact for for the team down the stretch and um you know we've seen uh flashes from from guys like Freddie Peralta and and stuff like that in the bullpen so um, I, I think when they're they're able to bring up those guys and, and Jimmy Nelson is somebody who's been pitching really well in the minor leagues lately and Brent Suter is somebody who's been pitching rel, uh, in the minor leagues lately as well as those guys kind of work themselves back from injury. Um, and they do you know it sounds like they'll they'll get brandon woodruff back at some point if if not for at least the last couple of weeks of the season or something like that so um i think that the the reinforcements down the stretch in september should play a, a pretty big role for the team and give great counsel a lot of different ammunition to work with as you know he tries to stack his lineups as best as possible and um he'll he'll have a lot more room to work with uh giving guys short starts and, and kind of playing matchups in the games and all that kind of stuff. And um, this is going to be the last uh, the last September, I guess, that, that he's going to be able to have that ability to do a lot of those sorts of things um, once the new rules come into place next year. So uh, I, I'm sure that he's going to want to try and, and maximize this. Final opportunity, and the the organization wants to maximize this final opportunity that they'll have to work with this entire 40 man roster down the stretch because that's really you know like I said, kind of what helped kick them into gear last year, and and when they really played their best baseball was was when they had um, was when they had the, their their big expanded rosters.
0: Last year, in addition to the expanded rosters in September, they had a schedule in the month where they had every Thursday off. Uh, only two days off in the month of September this year. That that schedule of every Thursday off, they got in August instead. You, you've got the, the reinforcement, so the the lack of off days isn't going to Im- impact you as much in terms of availability, but you're still playing all these days. How different do you think it's going to be with the fact that they are going to have so many fewer off days this year in September compared to last year?
1: Um, I, I think... It's probably going to end up um, coming more into play uh, on the position player side, I would think, maybe at this point, just because with having 20 pitchers in the roster or something like that, you know, they, they could very easily manage those guys' workloads. But, um, you know, it's going to be a little different when. You have to try and figure out off days for guys like Christian Yelich and, and guys like Ryan Braun and all that kind of stuff. And having those those off days built in last year, especially for, for Braun, who we, we know requires pretty regular maintenance days, um, really helped him. Kind of, kind of play his best baseball down the stretch last year, and I don't think the Brewers make it into the playoffs or, um, you know, end up end up winning the division without the contributions that they got from Braun during the last couple of weeks of the season last year. So, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how David Stearns is, or, uh, Craig Council, excuse me, is is able to to manage the workload for those guys to make sure that you know they they're in optimum in the optimum position for uh, for them to be able to play as much as possible in the last couple of weeks of the season when it's really going to matter.
0: I find myself on the post game show defending Craig Council a lot when it comes to off days. When he's giving Christian Yelich that rare day here, the rare day there. The last time it happened, I think there was a lot of egg on face of a lot of fans because they were so upset about him getting an off day and then all of a sudden it turned into a fairly legit injury that he spent some time out when he was dealing with the back. But where do you ever get frustrated with Council in terms of when he gives guys off days, or do you? Are you pretty confident in his ability to understand when a guy has been pushed to a point that they have to get an off day and they have to get it right then, no matter who they're playing?
1: Um, I I feel uh, pretty confident in the way that Council and, and the organization manages that stuff, and I mean he's the one in the clubhouse every day. Uh, they're the ones that are that are there with the medical staff, and um, you know I, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than you know a guy coming up and saying like hey something sore this that and the other thing. I'm sure that you know there's any number of different bio uh, biomechanical analyses that that the team looks at, and um, a ton of just just like we have metrics to evaluate a guy's offense and all that sort of stuff, and uh, I, I'm sure that the Brewers have a lot of different metrics that they look at uh, regarding. Regarding a player's health and and all that sort of stuff that and are indicators that they look for when it's time to give it uh, give a guy a breather or something like that. So, um, you know, the only thing that that has kind of irked me, I guess, is maybe the opposite with somebody like Brent McCain, who um, you know is pretty clearly laboring a lot and has labored a lot through a lot of different injuries this year. Um, certainly his hat has picked up lately, which has been great, but it you know, it feels like at times over the course of the season maybe maybe some additional days off for Lorenzo Pena would have been more beneficial for the team. But um, you know, with a veteran guy like that, he's obviously gonna to wanna to play and it's at this point I guess it's really neither here nor there, but um, no, I, I certainly trust the way that Craig Council and, and the organization kind of manages their off days and, and figures out when to give guys, guys a breather because I think they do a pretty good job with that.
0: Specifically with Lorenzo Kane, I think it's a really interesting thing for the team because there was a while there where Trent Grisham was outperforming Lorenzo Kane and that's great. And maybe on any given day during that period, having Grisham in there gave you more of an opportunity to win, but really how much more of an opportunity to win. And the the old saying, and I've said it a million times, for this team to get to where they want to get to this year, for this team to be a playoff team, for this team to go on some sort of playoff run, Lorenzo Cain's got to be part of it. you got to be getting good at-bats from Lorenzo Cain. So it seems like they're sometimes stuck in this, this in-between world of, okay, for today and for tomorrow and for the day after, maybe Trent Grisham gives the team a marginally better chance of actually winning that game. But from a long-run standpoint, Getting Lorenzo Cain back to who he should be and who everybody kind of expected to be this year—that's going to help the team more. And you know, we, we saw that a lot with Travis Shaw. The old saying that you know this team is better when you've got Travis Shaw as a 30 home run hitting guy. So keep him in the lineup, keep giving him that opportunity to be that guy, and eventually it just didn't work out. But that's a that's a really tough part of being a manager. And I think sometimes people look at it from a very simplistic point of view of you know, Trent Grisham swinging a better bat than Lorenzo Kane right now, so it needs to be Grisham. It's not always about today, it's also about what's going to help the team moving forward the long run down the, uh, through the duration of the season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I certainly agree with that and with the, with the idea that, um, this team is going to need Kane to kind of be that catalyst for the offense, like he was last year down the stretch, uh, in order for them to kind of achieve their their best sort of level of baseball. So, you know, you, you can hardly blame Council for for giving a guy like Kane as much space as possible to try and get his bat going. And you know, like I said, it, it certainly seems that he's he's been doing a little bit better lately. I think he's hitting something like four hundred over the last couple of weeks. So, um, and and with Kane too, you know, the fact that he brings um such an outstanding level of defense in center field to the to the to the field every day. um you know it makes it a little bit easier to live with um you know the the offensive struggles that he's had this season.
0: Are you at all concerned about Keston here as defense or is it just a you knew what you were going to get with it? It's not great, but his bad is so good. it more than makes up for the mistake here and the mistake there.
1: yeah, I mean, you know i I guess I never really expected him to
0: be to be great
1: um the report say that you know he could at least be an average second baseman at some point um but i think some of that is going to come with time and we got to remember that you know he's still uh, a pretty young player and um, is still Trying to catch up from the the missed development time that he had at second base with um with his elbow injury in school and and during the beginning of his professional career, um so I think that that with some continued reps we'll we'll see some improvements. Um I I don't think that he's ever gonna uh, challenge for a Gold Glove or or anything like that. I don't think anybody's gonna mistake him for for being a top defensive second baseman. Um but you know, if he can shore things up a little bit, um, I think it would. I think it would go uh, a long way towards kind of changing people's perceptions because there's just some, some, especially with his throws, just some some stuff that needs to get cleaned up. And um, I, like I said, I'm sure that'll come with time. But if he can continue to hit. You know, over 300 with a with an OPS over 900, and um, a guy who looks like he'll he'll have 30 home run power during a full season of at bats. Uh, I'm sure that the fans will be a little bit more forgiving uh, on any defensive miscues uh, once we're seeing that sort of production across the full season.
0: Where are you at on the bullpen right now? It seems like there's been some stabilizing factors. Jay Jackson has pitched a little bit better recently. Uh, Devin Williams his he gave up a run on Sunday, but overall he seems to be coming into form. It's not as so much this, this bullpen was never gonna be the bullpen of last year where you were just gonna have the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings on lockdown. It kinda the the, the bar was lowered at some point where all you could hope for was guys who were mostly consistent and it it seems like it's kind of slowly moving in that direction. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you can pretty clearly call the, the guys that Craig council feels, um, feels good about going to in those sorts of situations. And and that would be junior Guerra and Alex Claudio and Matt Albers. Those are sort of his, his next level of arms after uh, uh, Josh Hader in the back end. Um, And, you know None of those guys are, are great, um, but they've had some pretty solid stretches throughout the run of the season, and each one of them has been pitching, pitching um, pretty well for for the last few weeks. Um, so hopefully those guys can kind of continue to, to be stable in those spots. Um, but I think a couple of the guys that you mentioned, uh, Jake Jackson and um, Devin Williams, uh, they've shown perhaps a little bit more upside than I think that I think maybe you would, you would count on out of, uh, Claudio and Albers and Guerra. Um, so it, it'll be, uh, nice to see Craig Council kind of continue to give those guys opportunities. Uh, there, there are a couple of pitchers who, who certainly don't have any issues missing bats. Uh, I think the, the, uh, the trouble for those guys is always going to kind of be command. So if they're able to throw strikes, um, you know, I, I think that, they uh, they could work themselves into some pretty important roles down the stretch and and be some some high impact arms for the team at the end of games and um you know Freddie Peralta could come back and, and maybe work himself into into that sort of role um you know I, I guess it wouldn't surprise me just based on the way that Jimmy Nelson has been pitching over the last couple of weeks uh, for him to come up and and maybe get uh, a couple of those opportunities as well at some point so um you know it, it's definitely not not the bullpen that it was last year. I mean you can't you just you can't say that you feel as good um as you would have if, if Corey Canable was still here and Jeremy Jeffers was, was pitching even half as good as he was last year. Um but I, I think that it's it's sort of a group that's stabilized Self and some guys have sort of established themselves into roles, and and hopefully we can see some of these higher upside guys uh, start to flash a little bit over the last month of the season, and you know maybe maybe come up and. Be those guys like like Brandon Woodruff was for the team at the end of, at the end of the year last year, some, something like that. So um, I guess at, at this point it's just just kind of a wait and see thing. But you know, like you said, uh, a little bit more stable, I guess, over the last few weeks than it was at, at once earlier this season.
0: I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but so much was made of Josh Hader's struggles, and as, as I watch more and more, it just it seemed really simple to me he was, he was missing low. And when he pitches up in the zone, he's fine. And when he, when he pitches low in the zone, he's not. And it's just about, if he's going to miss, miss high. I, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's certainly what it seemed like to me. Uh, Would you agree with my basic statement there?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that that is um, pretty accurate. Uh, You know, the, the, Heat maps actually show that Hader is pitching up in the strike zone more regularly this year than than he has um, in years past, um, and his walk rate is, you know, actually I think the the best it's ever been in any season of his career so far. Uh, but but the problem is that having a low walk rate and having good control where you're in the strike zone isn't the same as having good command where you're consistently hitting your spots. And Josh Hader seems to have figured out how to consistently throw in the strike zone. But the next step for him is going to try to be to figure out how to consistently hit the catcher's glove. And I mean, when you watch the guy pitch, you can see it. You can see how often the glove is moving. And um, he's grooved a lot more pitches this year than he, than he did last year. He's thrown a lot more of those kind of meatball pitches that are, that are down the middle of the plate. And um, you know, it's, almost an odd rate as to how often guys have been able to take advantage of those misses as compared to when he's missed in years past. But, you know, as he continues to pitch in the league, there's going to be, um, more video out on him and all that sort of stuff. And it seems like everybody kind of, kind of understands who Josh Hader is now. He's going to come at you with the fastball. And if you can get one, if you can get one low because of his, his kind of funky arm angle and all that kind of stuff, you can do some damage with it versus a pitch that is, uh, up in the strike zone and, and that, um, with the way that the, the rising action almost that he gets on the ball, it, it makes it really difficult for, for anybody to do anything with a, with a pitch that he throws up in the zone. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. If he can, if he can more consistently hit his spots up in the strike zone with his fastball, uh, we're, we're not, talking about these issues in the same way that we've been. But, you um, know, it'll, it'll, it'll just have to be one of those things that we kind of wait and see if, if the command improves or anything or if this is going to be a one-year blip with these these odd home runs and the juice baseball and all that sort of stuff. But, um, I mean, even with with those issues, he's still one of the best relievers in baseball. And I don't, I don't think that you can ask a guy – to be the best every single year and, and not have any sort of fluctuation in performance. But if, if this is as bad as Josh Hader is going to be, I mean, I can certainly live with that.
0: Do you think it's vitally important that he's able to throw some of his secondary stuff for strikes or is that, don't worry about that. It's all about the fastball and it's all about locating it.
1: Um, I, I, think that um some of the issues about him being too heavily reliant on his fastball is overblown because it's it's pretty clearly his best pitch um but i i do agree with the idea that maybe throwing a few more sliders like on the first pitch something like that um would be something that would be more beneficial to him and it it sounds like that that that's something that he's working on and working with the coaches and with Yasmani grandal behind the plate on on um Changing some of those selections because it it seems like uh, a lot of the damage that's done against him is guys who are sitting fastball on the first pitch and and they get one that's that's low in the zone misses location and they're ready for it so you know if if he's able to mix it up a little bit and and maybe throw a slider um to kind of get a guy off balance uh, to start a to start a plate appearance um that that may make it a little bit more difficult for them to just kind of sit on the fastball when when the first look that they get from him is is something different than that.
0: ton of content going out at brew crew ball on an everyday basis uh give the listeners an idea of what they can uh, find there uh really at any moment
1: um well as we uh kind of wind down the minor league season here we'll be um you know looking into uh all the guys that that performed well uh over the course of the year in the minor leagues um We'll uh, be looking into a September call-up preview and, and kind of going over a bunch of the different candidates that, that we may see the team call up in September, uh, both players on the 40-man roster as well as uh, other minor leaders who maybe have a, a shot based on how well they perform this season. Um, and then, of course, you know, we'll continue to cover every game and uh, take care of all the uh, the transaction news and all that sort of stuff and um, do, do the deep statistical dives that uh, that we've kind of been um, specializing in at Brew Crew Ball for the last several years.
0: He is Kyle Lesneski. He's the managing editor over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. Kyle, always appreciate your time. Great stuff. And I uh, look forward to doing this again before the uh, season comes to an end, hopefully.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Always appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat with some baseball with you.
0: Kyle Osneski, the managing editor of Brew Crew Ball, joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Let's look ahead to what's going to be coming up for the Brewers over the course of the next week or so. This is a huge, this is a huge week for this team as they continue to try to make a run for the postseason. They are going to play a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series against the Cardinals. If you happen to be listening to this prior to Monday night's game and you are going to Monday night's game and your ticket says that the game is going to start at 640, your ticket is lying to you. It is not telling you the truth. Uh, This game was picked up for national TV by ESPN, so the game got moved up. So this is going to be a 6:05 first pitch on Monday night because of the ESPN broadcast. So just keep that in the back of your mind, a 6:05 first pitch for Monday's game against the Cardinals. Keep that in mind if you're going. Back to 6:40 for the start time for the Tuesday game and then they are going to play an afternoon game on Wednesday. Thursday is going to be an off day. That is going to end the run of all these Thursdays that they've got off in the month of August, as that is the final Thursday in the month. Then they are going to head to Chicago for a three-game weekend series. That's going to go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All three of those games are scheduled to get started at 120. And that's going to be, uh, they're going to be in a stretch at that point of playing six of eight, check that, of playing seven of nine games against the Cubs. You know, we keep talking about the make or break points of the season. And Sometimes it's not even make or break, it's break points of the season where you probably can't make your season, you can't play your way into the postseason with a good performance, but you can play your way out of it. it that Cardinal series kind of feels that way with the division. You know, if, if the Brewers lose two of three to the Cardinals, if they get swept by the Cardinals, that creates a really tough task in terms of climbing back up. Then all of a sudden you're talking seven games out of the division. And then you have that all those games against the Cubs, the three-game weekend series coming up this weekend, and then the following weekend, which is going to be four home games against the Cubs on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All those uh, all those games are there, and if you can if you can have success, if you can win five of seven against the Cubs, that goes a long way. Maybe depending on what St. Louis is doing, maybe that doesn't go a long way towards you getting the division. But it certainly goes a long way towards finding a way into the postseason even as a wild card. We can start doing this now. We're at that point of the time where we can really start breaking down the schedule and talking about the impact. And once they get done with that Cubs series next weekend, that four-game series from September 5th to September 8th, at that point the schedule is a little bit different because from there on out, from September 9th until September 29th, they're only going to be playing one series against a team that they're head-to-head going for a playoff spot against, and that's the Cardinals that will be coming up that that last that uh, that next weekend after the four-game series against the Cubs in the month of September. Outside of uh, after the Cubs series, and not including that one Cardinal series after September 8th, the, the Brewers series are against the Marlins, the Padres, the Pirates, the Reds, and the Rockies. It's good because none of those teams are very good. So that's that's the good part of it. The bad part of it is when you're playing head-to-head against teams that you're going against for a playoff spot, you have the opportunity to not just bring yourself up, but to knock the other team down. Uh, and and you won't have that as much over the course of the last three weeks of the season. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? We'll talk more about that coming up in our next podcast next week. Once again, I do want to say thank you to uh, Kyle Lesneski for uh, joining us. Always uh, good to have a uh, nice conversation with him talking Brewers, and I hope to uh, have you with me for Brewers Extra Innings, the post-game show on WTMJ following games, and we'll talk again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.